and welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the silly nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me as always is my co-host Nick. Hello! Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favourite films. Give us a follow on Twitter at Kinotomic if you like Halloween. Today is our second episode on our Halloween series, and we are very happy to be talking about vampires. Yay! That's, so, I'm really yeah. excited. I'm excited. Vampires. Yeah, I, don't, that, I love, don't know if that I came mean, across. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do that again. Yay! There we go. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, yeah, we kick off um, with a very classic um, vampire story, like the quintessential vampire story and the first adaptation the first film adaptation uh, 1922 um, Murnau's version of of Dracula uh, which is Nosferatu starring uh, Gustav von um, Wangenheim Max Schreck and Greta Schroeder and this is like I said uh, the first adaptation of Bram Stoker's novel Dracula we all know and love uh, the names and some story details were changed to avoid a lawsuit, which we'll find was rather unsuccessful. So here's a synopsis. Vampire Count Orlock expresses interest in a new residence and the wife of real estate agent Hata. So Nick, what did you think of Nosferatu? Nosferatu. Um, so a little bit of a confession. I've never read Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, yeah, consternation, uproar. I know it's it's one of those it's 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 one of those books. Um, same with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I have copy of. I have copy of both of those, but I've never actually gotten around to reading them. Um, and because I've seen next, next you'll you'll tell me you've never read uh, the Curious Case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I read that when I was like twelve or thirteen, so I have read that. Okay. I know I've read that. Um, I was more into I was more into H. G. Wells, uh, the War of the Worlds, the ti- the Time Machine, uh, the men, uh, first men on the moon. Like that was more my. I was more into like the H. G. Wells side of of um, like Victorian literature. Um, okay. So yeah, no, I mean the Prancelicus Drake is always a story that I haven't ever actually read, um, but because of you know adaptations um like uh you know coppola's version um the simpsons version of dracula um oh yes that is a classic yeah and um this um the uh, remake of this this film uh Werner herzog's version of, of nosferatu so i've i kind of i do know the story uh, same with Frankenstein. It's just one of those stories that I just kind of know. Just never actually kind of sat down and, and actually read it. Um, and with this, like, if, if this is, yeah, another uh, one of those kind of classic films that I haven't seen that I really, really should have seen um, by now, especially what with my kind of love of genre films. Um, and, you know, to be honest, apart from the exception of, of, of next week's film, this is probably the most egregious and, and disgusting for me from, to admit. So, um, but it's all kind of done now. Um, I've seen it, um, and there is, and there was much rejoicing. Um, so the main, the like, I think kind of hinted at it, but the main issue I had going into this was the fact that I had seen the Werner Herzog version before. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how or why. I. I... It Please was, explain it, yourself. So, um... Why did you watch that version first? So when, um... When was it? So it was a couple of years ago now. I was, uh, it was year two of my BA degree. And I remember distinctly us being given a choice in class where my my lecturer holded, held up three films. There was Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. There was uh, Werner Herzog's uh, Nosferatu. And um, there was something else which I can't remember um, off the top of my head. But every, everyone just went, "Oh, we'll watch Nosferatu," and I was, I was like, "Oh, I okay," you know, because I, 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 I'm the kind of person to want to sit down and watch the original first. You know, that's kind of 
I don't think it's kind of right to watch a remake before you watch the original. Exactly. Um, um, but it just happened to be one of those things, and I never got round to watching the original afterwards. Um, so that's kind of me trying to explain myself. Um, okay. But from from so from what I remember being told by my lecturer um, at the time that this that film was pretty much just a straight remake of this film. So it was always going to be difficult for me to be fully kind of cold or, you know, like have no expectations of what's going to happen. Um, and it difficult. It did. It was proved to be honest. Like I did find it difficult. Um, everything in the, the, the kind of the main storyline um, with, with Hatta, I I thought was really, really quite effective storytelling. The way you know the way the film was 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 kind of telling the story, um, and but I didn't kind of find myself you know gripped by it because you know I I'd, I'd seen the story before. However, the what I I really did appreciate come to appreciate was the fact that the visual storytelling in the film was nothing short of of of, of fantastic. Everything surrounding count orlock um the imagery the the iconography of 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 of, it, of him you know it's just nothing short of astonishing um and there there is a reason why the film is is consistently you know referenced parodied homaged and and remade um you think of uh 2014's uh, what we do in the shadows tiger waititi's what we do in the shadows where peter is basically Nosferatu. He is, you know, he is Count Orlok. Um, you know, it's a fantastic... If anybody here hasn't seen What We Do in the Shadows, I really fucking recommend it, because it's... I think that should be a public sin, like a public oh, I've been trying to get I've been trying to get my, my dad to watch it, but he's he's kind of apprehensive because of the, the whole vampire thing, but I'm just oh, like... It's so funny. But yeah, like, that's what I mean, like... Um, even... Um, Salem's Lot, uh, Stephen King's Salem's Lot, which I've seen the the Toby Hooper uh, miniseries slash film that that came out in the seventies. Have you seen Have you seen that Salem's Lot? No, but I think I've seen someone that looked a bit like Con. Uh, yeah, so that. the 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 yeah, so the the image of the main vampire in that and I can't for the life of me remember his name. He is basically visually so much like Count Orlock. You know, there there seems to be kind of two versions of vampires that kind of ended up in cinema. You got the vampires end up look, you know, the big vampires end up looking like Count Orlock. Um, you think of um, the master in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then you get like the grand um, operatic vampires, which kind of take their cue from from Dracula. Um, either whether that would be the Christopher Lee version or Gary Oldman. Or Mr. Burns, um, or, Be- or Bella Lugosi, or Bella Lugosi. Um, so, you, so it's kind of, it's kind of like really, really quite amazing to see the original and to actually really see how stunning it is. Um, yes. The look, the look of the shadow going up the stairs, you know, is an image I've seen uh, uh, everywhere. I've seen it in textbooks. I've seen it in clips in other things you know i've seen it everywhere but to see it in context is just one of those actual pure magic moments you know it's it is pure visual cinema that kind of outshines honestly i think that moment outshines almost anything else that i have seen from the silent era in terms of visual storytelling um and also after that when he goes into her bedroom and you see his hand the shadow of his hand on her torso like grabbing gripping her heart almost Honestly, like I, honestly, I, you know, I've not obviously, I'm not like the silent film guru. That's Danny. Um, so my knowledge of the silent film era is is very very slim. But this is, you know, having watched uh, Metropolis for this podcast, and um, I've seen other silent films. You know, Sunrise, Song of Two Humans. Um, you know, the the, the Buster Keaton films that we've seen, the the Charlie Chaplin film that we saw. Um, you know, I've. And obviously the the Georges Méliès stuff that I've I've I kind of consumed um, back at when I was doing my degree. Um, this 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 is unlike anything else. Like this is pure 
visual cinema. There's no other word to describe yeah. it. Um, and it's, I think it's one of the best, it's one of the greatest moments in, in cinema history. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see that in context. And honestly, like the look of the count must have really sent the audiences at the time running from the screens. Imagine, just imagine, because in 1922, it was still kind of a new medium. It was, you, you weren't as bombarded with horror films as you are now. Now you've seen it all. Basically. Yeah, I mean, now now it kind of has to take kind of something special to to have a visual like imagery really stick with you and really really terrify you. I think maybe the most modern example off the top of my head is probably the Babadook in terms of something that's that's really 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 effective. Um, yeah. And really sticks with you. I think I'm talking about follow, modern. It follows, or it follows that you know that whatever it is, you know. I think you know, seeing how that is, um, I think there's very, very few kind of in modern cinema, especially in horror. You know, there, there doesn't seem to be anything that really kind of comes close. Um, maybe uh, spoilers for 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 Hereditary, but maybe Tony Collette um, kind of does it as well. But uh, that's only for people that have seen Hereditary. Um, so yeah, the, 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 I can't imagine what it would have been like. I mean, you know, you, we all hear the story of people running from the cinema screen because the 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 train pulling into the station and they thought it was coming through the screen. Obviously, that's not that didn't actually happen, or you know, didn't really happen. But it was a it didn't a happen. Yeah, but like I can't imagine what this would this film would have done. You know, it's like here's this new medium of moving pictures on a screen. Here is Count Orlock. Deal with that. You know, a, 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 <laughs> a visual thing that you've never seen before. I, I can't imagine it. Um. I I really 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 did watch enjoy watching all the parts with the count in um you know it really really kept me gripped and feeling really really uneasy not to yeah. the same extent to what I felt with Dr Caligari last week um but I think that's because of the fact that I hadn't seen that film before whereas I have kind of seen this film before because I've seen the remake um yeah and you know I, the <laughs> you know his image yeah persona so to speak so yeah i mean it, it it was just kind of like the story around it and that kind of proved to be the hurdle my mind couldn't jump over um and it, although that being said this isn't me just just dismissing, dismissing the film I'm, I'm really not i mean far from it i mean like last week's uh cabinet of dr caligari and and metropolis you know you know the other the german expressionism films that we've had on the fit on this on the podcast you know, this is an absolute powerhouse of cinema that really, really does deserve all the work that's dedicated to it. Um, and like I said, like honestly, like anything to do with account is is utterly, utterly brilliant. And I really, really, I've really, really appreciated the 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 kind of the visual pureness to the film. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, so that's kind of me kind of wrapping up with it. I think, um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I think yeah, you're I think you're right. It just it I think yeah, after all this time it has been a bit warped by all the versions that followed. Um and yes, um if you've seen Shadow of the Vampire, I think that kind of ex helps explain in a way why what what audiences of the time might have thought about Max Shrek. That's who was the... not a vampire that's the Willem Dafoe film, isn't it? Yeah, and Max Schreck was not a vampire and he did not kill and eat crew members during production of this movie. Just to make it clear. <laughs> uh, Shadow of the Vampire Vampire was just a fiction film that I am, um, but I do think it was rooted in some sort of rumour that because it was so terrifying at the time, certain audience members had this, this idea that Max Schreck was a vampire. Um, but he wasn't. <laughs> he was an established theatre actor. Um, so yeah, um, I'm glad you enjoyed watching it. Uh, it is a powerhouse of cinema. It is one of the best silent films ever made, I think. Uh, I've seen this film quite a few times. Um, I have actually seen him a while back with the live piano at Wilton's Music Hall. So for those who haven't visited Wilton's, it, it is a gem of a venue in London. 
it's got great history so as soon as it's safe go pay to visit the music for this film was um composed specifically for for it by Hans Erdmann and I've I've rewatched it recently for the podcast and it struck me how similar the the music the score is to the the score from Francis Ford Coppola version Dracula which I absolutely love I think Gary Oldman is in terms of like modern day cinema I think he's the best um, so yeah, there is. I'm glad that you picked up on like the really eerie um, image of Count Orlok. He it just feels to me that he seems less than a man and more like an entity. Like I think he, if you've read the novel, he's more like the undead creature that is described in the novel, and he looks almost like a rodent. And the like. The Todd Browning version with Bela Lugosi, I think that makes him a lover, and that is again taking liberties from the novel because in the novel there is no romantic side of him at all, and I think this this version is might be the one credited with the romantic side because in this version, the Count is showing interest in in the meaner character who is now not not played but not named the same. But yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that they've changed sort of the ending and they've changed some some aspects of of the story to avoid uh, a lawsuit, but they didn't. Um, All known prints and negatives were destroyed um, under the terms of settlement of the lawsuit that was brought brought on by Bram Stoker's widow. Um, Fortunately for us, the film was... um, was saved in through second generation reels in other countries so i don't think there's an original print of it and this was <laughs> it was one of those near misses that i i still worry about uh i mean most of Murnau's films are actually lost including a 1920 version of dr jekyll and mr hyde called um the head of janus starring conrad veidt who we talked about last week and having Bela Lugosi as the butler, as Dr. Jekyll's butler. And I think this is one of those versions that I, I think I miss. I, I would love to see this. And I'm still holding on to hope because there are a lot of un- untapped archives in the world. So maybe, who knows, one day we might find this gem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you actually watched the Werner Herzog uh, version because I think that's really, really beautiful as well. And... Werner Herzog was quoted as saying that he feels this Nosferatu is the greatest German film ever made, and I think he he remade it as as a tribute. And yeah, like I said, one of the other uh, sort of things that he more now changed was the idea that sunlight is lethal to vampires, because in the novel. Um, that that is not exactly true. I mean, they are nocturnal, but they are still able to to live by day. Um, they, and they I just think... need a shit ton of sunscreen, basically. No, I mean, if you've seen Bram St- uh, um, Francis Ford Coppola's version, it explains there that they can walk around yeah. during daytime, but they're not. They are they are their weakest, so to speak. Yeah. they're not the, at their strongest. Um, because you see, you see him having uh, meeting Mina on, in the street, and I think that was one of the great scenes where he's kind of revealing himself to her. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of, and also the romantic interest of of the count in in the wife is kind of like the element that the original novel didn't really have. Um, I think he did try to kill her, but he he, he was trying to get to her because in the novel. It is Mina who sort of is the investigative force that brings down brings down his downfall. She's the one who under, pieces all the information together and understands that he needs to be killed and how he needs to be killed. She's the one helping Van Helsing, so to speak. Um, I really recommend the novel. It's it's very weirdly written. It's like journalistic style, the epistolary style. So it's not like a narrative, it's just letters and, and j- diaries, um, diary entries. It's, it's 
a bit weird, um, but I it's it's really it's an interesting piece of of literature. So yeah, a bit of um, Frederick um, Wilhelm Murnau, who is one of the greatest directors that has ever lived, I think. He said once, if it if it's if it isn't in the frame, it doesn't exist, and he apparently gave it to young Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, when uh, Hitchcock visited the UFA studios in Berlin before becoming famous, and he never forgot Hitchcock never forgot this advice, and he was still quoting it when making final movies uh, in the mid seventies, and he was um, greatly influenced by Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, um, Shakespeare, and Ibsen. Uh, he'd seen Ibsen plays at the age of twelve and became a, re a, a really interested in theatre. And he studied theatre with theatre director Max Reinhardt. During World War One, he served as a company commander at the Eastern Front, and he was in the German um, Air Force. And he was he survived several crashes. And because his parents were against his plans for a career in the theatre, and because they also didn't accept his homosexuality. He changed his name from Friedrich Wilhelm Plumper to Friedrich Wilhelm Murnau. And of course, he, after um, success with Nosferatu and uh, other films he did in Germany, he was he emigrated from Hollywood in 1926. And I think one of the reasons was also because he kind of sensed that the Nazis were gaining power. And he joined Fox Studio and made uh, three films Sunrise. Four Devils and City Girl, um, and Sunrise, which you've mentioned, is considered as one of the greatest films ever made. Although I don't know, <laughs> it deals with a murderous husband, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still, you know, on the fence about that. And he directed, uh, all in all, I think twenty-one films, and eight are considered to be completely lost, and it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to, to have, you know. Over a third of his filmography lost to to posterity. I think it's it's quite a shame. Yeah. Um. In uh, one a really interesting f um, fact that I found, and I kind of think a film should be made about this. So in July twenty fifteen, Murnau's grave was broken into, the remains were disturbed, and the skull removed. Wax residue was reportedly found at the site, leading some to speculate that the candles had been lit, perhaps with an occult or ceremonial significance. So, what what's going on? Someone's got his cull and has performed some ritualistic, I don't know, thing with it. Maybe they yeah. wanted to, they maybe they wanted to sort of revive him. So yeah, I um, I, I mean, it, I really like this film, and it's kind of one of those films that get you in the mood for Halloween, I think. Um, and yeah, it's 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 one of like quintessential vampire film. Although I I rewatched it again recently, and I don't know if you've noticed the scene at the um inn where they talk about the werewolf that's on in the, in the forest, and then they cut to a hyena. Yeah, that was that was odd. <laughs> yeah, so I um, it just made me think of a very funny Monty Python sketch, <laughs> which I will link in the show notes, where they've got the Little Red Riding Hood, and the big bad wolf, and it's actually a um a dachshund dressed as a wolf. And Little Red Riding Hood is uh is John Cleese. Oh come on, you spoiled that. <laughs> I should have oh, been. Oh sorry. <laughs> But yeah, I just I just found that um sketch hysterical and I found this film quite um threatening and yeah, I think that's kind of it for me with Nosferatu. I'm just yeah. I really uh, like it. Out of curiosity, right? Cuz you briefly mentioned mentioned him, but like what for you then is is like the definitive on-screen vampire then? Like what would what would what would you place at like number one? Like if you were really For me, yeah, if I if I had to say like you had to put one vampire Gary Oldman. 
You would put Gary Oldman, would you? I would. Um, for anything, I mean, just for attempting Romanian to speak Romanian alone, <laughs> I would. I would give him a bit of an edge. Not like give him straight to number one, but I would give him the edge. And then you have the acting, and then I don't know. You have the aura of of evil but sexy, but all of it is just. Um, I mean, the film is not perfect by any means. We're, talk- I mean, we're talking I, Francis Ford Coppola's. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, Dracula. that's that's the one that he didn't play Dracula in any other film yeah. that I know of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would give him the edge for. I, I would give him number one for all the elements. Um, that he's brought to that to that performance, I think. Just he's romantic and he's he's yeah sophisticated. So I think what he, he I think what he did he studied all the all all his predecessors, and he he took a bit from everyone from like Christopher Lee. I mean I love Christopher Lee. I mean as an actor, well I know it's hard. I I really love Christopher Lee, and I probably prefer Christopher Lee's voice over over Gary Oldman's voice. Yeah. But um, I mean, I don't know. But yeah, what would be yours? I mean, I think for me, like a vampire, like the most kind of terrifying vampire for me is is um. Oh God, I've forgotten his name again. I had it in my head. What? Oh, no, I've forgotten his name. Sorry. Oh, Kurt Barlow from Salem's Lot. I think oh. I that for me is is like the most terrifying version of a, of a vampire. And it's the one that really, really sticks with me. Um, I know it's a bit of a left field choice, but it's kind of like... That's kind of I how I thinking would about envision. Like, be- I think because for me, like I, I grew up watching, you know, on BBC Two after The Simpsons. Grew up watching um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, yeah. and their version of vampires, uh, like these kind of, you know, they're they're you know, they do these like facial transformations, but they're yeah, no, they're all kind of their version really? of vampires. No, but they're no, no, but their version of vampires are kind of like. They're not pure vampires, whereas you get the pure vampire of the master, whose visual appearance takes a lot after, you know, Nosferatu and and Salem's Lot, uh, Kurt Barlow, Salem's Lot. So I think I think that for me kind of sticks with me. And then when I saw Salem's Lot, um, quite a few years ago now, it really, really, really got to me. Um, probably more than any other vampire film has ever gotten to me. Um, so I think that's probably why I I go with Kurt Barlow, because it like I said it is probably the one vampire story that's really I think because I saw it at, at just maybe just the right age, and okay. it just kind of really really hit I think, me. Yeah, I think I think you've got the the age stuff on point because when I was growing up, I I think I first saw the the Gary Oldman version for the first time and it just stuck with me. Uh, not um, to reference sync for the for the seven thousandth time, but the the Mr. Burns version of of, of Dracula is, enough is, with Mr. Burns already. Is, is one of the is one of the funniest. It's not only one of the funniest, but it's one of like the I think it's the most one of the most iconogra- iconographic versions of of Dracula that I can think of. Um, and I just love that that Treehouse of Horror sketch. So okay, um, to to quote Phoebe Buffay, it's not to me be uh, it's not meant to be funny. It's meant to be scary. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, I suppose. Um, yeah. So so to go from um uh, uh one one vampire story to to another, um. We we move on to 2014's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from um, British-born American-Iranian director Anna Lily Amapour. Um, this is a horror western vampire Iranian black and white film. 
Um, it's not really much else that I can say apart from the synopsis. So, in the Iranian ghost town Bad City, a place that reeks of death and loneliness, the townspeople are unaware they are being stalked by a lonesome vampire. So, Danny, um, what did you think of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? I thought it was great. I thought it was a, an incredible piece of filmmaking. I think, like we said before, it, a film that sort of touches on old stories, on old premises, like what's the story? It's about vampires. It brings like a new life into into the old genre. I found it was brilliantly executed. I was left sad. I was left enthralled, hopeful. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. You get a as you watch it, you get a taste, pun intended, of a different a, a different world of vampires, a different a, a poor world. Very dark, but not in 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 the sense that it's darkness brought on by the vampire. It's darkness that sort of is human. Um, and you've got addiction, you've got prostitution, and and then yeah, you find that e- the cure for that is just yeah, either death, violent, bloody death, or eternal life. And yeah, I wa- I wa- I walked in with no expectations, and I didn't think there would that I would be met with any cliches, and I thankfully it wasn't. Um, if if you watch, if you go in watching, if you go into the, watch this with any preconceived notions of what vampires are supposed to be like, these will be very destroyed very very quickly. I really loved I really loved her and the vampire, the girl. Um. Yeah, I I just it it was just makes you think about you know the life of the meaning of life. You see the man, you see like the 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 main character, the boy. You see him work and and strive, and you see his, like he works for I don't know thousands of days. I think he says at one point because he wanted to get a new car, and he's got a new car, and it was kind of his objective in life to have a brand new shiny car and then in the blink of an eye he gets his car taken away by one of the worst people in the world who granted does get his comeuppance but it's just one of those things that you feel really really you feel like you really you can relate to this boy and yeah I just really um I I, I didn't expect yeah I didn't I didn't really know what to expect but I didn't um, I didn't expect to find like a, a, a sort of love story, revenge story, a, a story about solitude. It's 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 very it's romantic, but it's not. It's it's got melancholia, it's got everything. Um, it's a story about not being able to fit in and maybe not wanting to fit in. There are references to James Dean, um, lots of like eighties pop culture references and yeah everything is so well paced and everything fits in they've all these different elements somehow manage I managed managed to fit in with in in the bigger story and I loved it there are a lot of close-ups and a lot of silent moments when which the the music just does the talking for for the characters and I think I think that is what makes it a really good pairing pairing with Nosferatu because it's one of those things you just the cinematography is so great that you look at it you look at the beautiful faces of, of, of the two young people on the screen and yeah you get lost in them and yeah it was um, a great director and yeah I really really loved it it was quite original um, I think it's one of the good Vampire film, films of the last decade or so. I mean, with the exception of what we do in the shadow. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah, I was gonna gonna go into that. Yeah. But yeah, I am. Um, I think that's kind of all I had. It was just yeah, it was a really good experience. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I... very poetic. I found, um, and some people might find it slow paced. It's not an action, uh, suspense vampire film. It's more to do with like the na- nature of of the human spirit, or inhuman spirit, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I found myself when I was rewatching it because I, I watched it earlier on this year. Rewatched it earlier on this year for. For um for an essay I was writing on uh female uh like uh female directed female fronted uh, horror films um so it was an essay I wrote with this and uh, Jennifer's Body by Karen Kasuma um starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried which I thoroughly recommend and um the uh Polish uh mermaid uh musical film uh the Laura um from a director whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce but um there was it was really really interesting because when I first watched it in 2014 I think I watched it I think it was purely off of Mark Kermode's uh recommendation oh I do Um, yeah I think he did mention it to me yeah, it was it was on his when because he 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 used to he used to do on a show called uh, the Culture Show on BBC Two, and I think this was one of the last ones he did where you know he did movie reviews on that show. Um, so I remember him doing like his own what was it like an Oscars thing he had. I think this was one of the films that he had. Oh, was it the uh, the Kermode Awards? The Kermode Awards, yeah, that's it. Um, I think this was one of the films he had for the Kermode Awards on that culture show, and I remember watching it and thinking, "I oh, that looks really interesting. I really want to see that." And I remember ca- put it on Blu-ray and was kind of blown away by it. And it kind of stuck with me so much that when I, you know, wanted to write about, um, you know, I wanted to write an essay about, you know, female-fronted horror films. You know, it's one of the first ones that came to my mind, um, and it makes a really, really interesting kind of companion piece to to jennifer's body and to uh the laura um this this film i adore it and when i was re-watching it i i, I was sat here and i was like nanny's gonna love this mm-hmm. um it's not often i sit there and and think so confidently that that danny's gonna love a film that you're gonna love a film i really really don't oh, you're I, getting I, predictable no, no, no. I usually, I usually sit down and I'm just like umming and ahhing about whether you're going to find something good or not, you know, whether you're going to be on board with it or not like that. But this was, probably, you know, this is the one of the few times where I was like, no, she's definitely going to love this. Um, you know, I think no least because of the girl, you know, the vampire. It was um, so good. She's utterly like her whole look, her kind of her demeanor, her um her personality i felt like her um her her motivations i think everything she barely says a few like few sentences here and there but when she does they are so meaningful and oh it's just so good um so this this is uh uh, director anna lily amapur's uh debut feature film she had made uh, quite a few short films, um, one of which being a short film version of this, which won, I think, won an award somewhere. Sorry. And um, then they launched, like, they, they did an Indiegogo campaign um, to kind of fund a feature-length version of this. Um, it reached its total, and then of, like, 57, like, 58 million, somewhere. No, not 58 million. 58,000, sorry. Um, and then they shot the film um, outside of LA and in, in California somewhere. Um, and then it premiered in, in Sundance in 2014. So it really is like this. It is a purely low budget independent film if you'd ever seen one. Um, and it totally feels like that. Um, I think the most famous face in the film is Arash's dad who people would recognise being Ranjit from How I Met Your Mother. Um, the recurring character of Ranjit, the driver from How I Met Your Mother. Um, you know, uh, her visual 
language like i talk a lot about visual language on this on this episode but the kind of understanding of visual language and and the visual kind of power of cinema is is really 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 uh, uh, impressive for somebody who's you know this is their first feature film obviously you know you have time to kind of perfect or get used to it when you're doing short films but you know feature length version is you know <laughs> it's it's the big game you know you're dealing with a lot of things and i I think she pulled it off magnificently um so yeah i mean there's there's a there's an article um on the new york times which i can link to in the, in the show notes um uh, which goes into goes into the film a little bit of detail um a little bit of uh linking with this which i didn't know about until i did my research for the film so to prepare for the film, uh, Miss Amapur created a historical timeline for Bad City and intricate bad stories for each character. She selected the music, had the actors watch tons of films, including Nosferatu, spaghetti westerns, and nature footage of snakes and cats, Harmony Corrine's Gummo, and she even wrote a comic book adaptation of the movie. So wow. the, the the vampire film that she kind of referenced the most at in terms of showing to her actors, you know, was Nosferatu. That's kind of like the main kind of visual Okay. Starting you kind of see it because it's like I said, there's a lot of references to silent cinema when you see her style. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And I, I think I think when you kind of get her visual style to go with the music choices in the film, I think it really, really does kind of do something special. I mean, the music, I think, is, is utterly fantastic. I mean, it's eclectic and it's kind of yeah. like obscure enough to be, you know, fresh and original. And I think it's one of the best, uh, you know, compilation soundtracks, you know, this side of, of, of Spider-Man 2. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, there is... There is kind of like one sequence I kind of want to go into in a little bit. Um, it was a sequence where, you know, the girl invites a rash back to her home. Um, or she takes him back to his place. Her place, sorry. And she puts on uh, Death by White Lies. And kind of, he gets off off the bed and, and gets close to him. And she gets close to him. And he's dressed as as Dracula. At one point, he says at the fancy dress party, you know, he's Dracula. Um, you know, and he's you know obviously taller than she is. You know, he's a bit more physically imposing than she is. You know, she's much more smaller in stature. But we know, due to the, what we've seen in the film so far, about how kind of ferocious she is and how weak Arash is at that moment. Um, and it really does yeah. a really amazing job at kind of subverting like these gender norms of society and kind of doing something really interesting. And I, I was, you know, you kind of feel yourself a little bit on edge about what's going to happen. You know, she tilts his head up and then in, instead of biting him, she kind of leans, she leans in for an embrace. Mm. And the song's lyrics at that time, you know, says, uh, the fear's got a hold of me. Which implies that her loneliness and longing for connection has kind of brought her to accepting him, and yeah. you know, not giving in to her for her vengeful, vengeful desires. You know, she is, you know, she is a feminist vampire. This is a fem feminist, very, very feminist vampire story. You know, she takes vengeance on men who wrong and abuse women. You know, she stalks the neighborhood and, and scares little boys you know yep. that that that's and Very stealing true. their skateboards you know and i think what however she's longing for that connection you know she you know her po her posters on her wall have you know one of the posters is prince yeah you know she is a, a romantic she doesn't want to be alone she wants that connection to somebody and i think with a rash who himself finds himself with a drug addicted father you know, yeah. I think both of them are kind of wanting a connection and I think they find each other. I think that's why I, when I saw um, the scene that you've mentioned, I just didn't feel the danger for him because I it just, at that point, I kind of understood that she was, she was going for people who are actually really, like, taken out of the garbage, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he was safe with her for some way. 
because you could see her wanting, like you said, that connection and wanting to share the music with somebody. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, it's it's. I wrote my little review on on Letterbox. It was just a one sentence thing, but I wrote this is a film of this is a film about loneliness. Um, it's not it's not a film about vampires or the usual thing you kind of get with vampires i think the most the film that's probably most like in terms of the genre is um the swedish 2008 film let the right one in um this this, i think it makes a very very interesting companion piece to that obviously that film is a lot more um suspenseful um but it's also a film about loneliness and a film about wanting connection with somebody I think that's and a very, also very about in... not fitting in and yeah, trying to make it out on your on your own. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what modern vampire films kind of have to do to be something special. I mean, this this film came out in two thousand fourteen, and obviously we got this film and what we do in the shadows out the same year. But in also in twenty fourteen, we got Dracula Untold, starring Luke Evans. Which was meant Has to be. Has anyone seen that? Uh, with, yeah, but I'm just saying. But this was meant. That was meant to be Universal's next. It was kind of like their, you know, uh, no Dracula film. They were going to do a big push on, but it, it bombed completely. It totally bombed. Um, <laughs> in 2008, um, you know, which is when that like, the right one came out. Um, the other vampire film that came out in in 2008. Danny, can you guess what that is? No. It is the uh, Robert Pattinson and Christian Stewart Oh, come Twilight. on. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed it. It was it's, For me, that film does not exist. It just, it's, I can never think of, of that I'm, film. Yeah, but the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is like, for every Twilight, for every Dracula Untold, and I'm not slagging off Twilight because I know it has its fans and I know it has kind of some kind of relevance to a certain style and a certain part of blockbuster films i'm not disputing that but what i'm saying is for every that version of vampire that is seen as generic or ready for parody you get really interesting films from directors like thomas alfredson with let the right one in with Liliana paul with uh, uh a girl walks home alone at night with taika waititi with what we do in the shadows um and then another film that um another vampire film which i think is utterly utterly stunning is uh jim jarmusch's um only lovers left alive uh starring uh tilda swinton, tilda swinton and, and tom, hiddleston. Um, tom hiddleston yeah um so for every kind of twilight or dracula film or, or whatever that comes out at the moment you 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 not to kind of go fall down the rabbit hole of oh vampires are shit now you know vampires can't be scary vampire you can't do anything interesting with the character with the with the iconography because i think time and time again you you just could be proven wrong um yeah. i think there's always there is always a chance to kind of do something interesting um so yeah i mean <laughs> kind of kind of was like trying to trying to wrap it up quite nicely um this this film yeah the 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 the, the cinematography is stunning and I, I think it was utterly haunting um the bad city is is kind of desolate and bleak um it, it does feel really kind of alien almost um in that you know this I can't really think of another place that's like it um and uh, it's this film is is really really special I, I think I think it's really really special so and unless Danny's got have you got anything more? No, no, I think yeah, I think I'm I'm done with my notes on this one. Cool. Yeah, thank you for making me watch it. No, no so, no no problem. No problem. So what have you got on for next week? Um so next week we go from uh we go from vampires. Well, I noticed this. I didn't I we didn't I didn't actually plan this originally, but week 1 of our Halloween thing was kind of um serial killer inspired killers. That makes any sense? Yeah, you know, yeah. psych, you know, uh, and and terrifying houses, yeah. yeah. Um, and this week is vampires. Um, next week we're we're going with uh, zombies. 
Yay! Um, and this is where I bring up the probably the worst one of the lot, the, the, the fact that the ones I haven't seen is uh, Night of the Living Dead from George A. Romero from 1968. I cannot believe... I'm going I've... to get you, Barbara! See, I know that line from Shaun of I the know Dead. I <laughs> <laughs> um, And I know that that's a reference to this film. And now um, you're gonna, we're gonna get it fixed. Don't worry. Which is really weird because I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen Dawn of the Dead, I've seen the the sequel, but I've never seen, you know, Night of the Living Dead. The original. The original. Um, you're in for a treat. We are watching this with Sam Raimi's Evil Dead Two from 1987. Um, for those that kind of know the film, would understand why we're going with Evil Dead Two and not the Evil Dead. I'm not um, asking any questions. We will go into that next. I will go into why uh, next week as to the reasons why. Um, but yes, we are watching Evil Dead Two, um, which, for those that know, um, really excited for Danny to see it. So Good. that's that's next week, um, our third and final week of our Halloween trilogy. Is that the right word? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, with all that in mind, um, it... Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KinoJoan, and my website is KinoJoan.co.uk. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at Nick S. Chandler, and my website is SuperTomoVision.com. Um, don't forget, like Danny said, drop us an email on Kinotomic at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Keenotomic. Um, we'll be some dropping, probably dropping some hints as to what we're doing after Halloween. Um, some point soon, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, we'll get Halloween over and done with, but even then, I can imagine the week before Halloween coming up to November, there's going to be some hints, probably as to what kind of thing we're going to be tackling next. Um, you know, it's we're kind of in the middle of these uh, themed. Uh, kind of block of episodes so we've had our Buster Keaton one and we've got a Halloween one and then November we're doing we're doing something else so um, everybody look out for look out for those Um, so with all that in mind it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me and a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me Yes, I'm trying.